Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is Wednesday, May 25th, and this is People Every Day. Hello, everyone. It's me, your host, Janine Rubenstein, and I am going to try my very best to keep it together for you today. Um, Every day I get to come on and tell you what a great show we have for you. And I love it. I love my job. I love the people I work with. I love the stories we tell in the magazine and on this show. And uh, yesterday we, we did the show. We worked hard and had some fun. And then right after we put it out, like minutes, it felt like we saw the soul crushing news that all of you saw. The news that now 21 people 19 of them, elementary school children, were viciously gunned down inside their school in Uvalde, Texas. And just like that, ripped from their families and from this world. And with that news, nothing else mattered. I I scrolled through my phone because that's what we do right now, right? We pick up our phones and we cry and read horrifying news week after week. And I just couldn't stop crying. My mind immediately went to those poor families, the moms, the dads, the siblings, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, all of them shattered. And then I thought of my family, my husband Doug, and our two young children. We went and picked up my son from school just to hold him and and came home and I cried. I did some laundry and I cried. I got dinner ready and I cried. And um, when my son asked about my day and why it was so sad, I had this panic thought creep in. Like, is this the moment where I have that conversation with my seven-year-old son that he lives in a country where he could go to school one day and just not come home? (laughs) Because for whatever reason, the people who have the power to do something in our country aren't stopping the bloodshed. That he lives in the only country on earth, the only country that allows this to happen again and again and again. So I am like all of you parents out there right now, but not just parents, all all of you. I'm scared. I am angry. I'm sad. And I am so tired. I remember growing up when Columbine happened and, and now those survivors who were just children themselves, those children are now old enough to have their own kids in elementary school. Uh, They have kids that are the same ages as the students at Robb Elementary at Sandy Hook. So what are we doing? Honestly, the question now is, what am I doing? Because as a mom watching this, as a Black woman who watched less than two weeks ago what happened to 10 people just grocery shopping in Buffalo, and also as a journalist who earlier this week thought the hardest part of today would be finding a way to commemorate the murder of George Floyd, which happened exactly two years ago today. Let us not forget. And just as a human being I have to do something. I can't worry about the proverbial we anymore. And I know a lot of you tune in to get a little break from your day and and hear what the Kardashians are up to or, or which 
Real Housewife did what to who? You pop in your earbuds and and download our show. And we are so grateful for that. And you want an escape from all of this. And I get it. I need a break, too. I'm right there with you. But there is no ignoring this. There's no escape today because there was no escape for those babies and those teachers. So when I saw um, Steve Kerr, the coach of my hometown, Golden State Warriors, give his pregame press conference, I felt seen. That was like the first moment last night where I felt like I was out of this fog bubble and and someone got it. And he said everything I was thinking. And I didn't know this until one of my producers told me this morning, but Kerr lost his own father to senseless gun violence. So here's some of what he shared during that pregame press conference in Dallas. Any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. Well, we have a show for you today. We are going to do what we do best, and that is talk about the stories and topics that matter most. And right now, from where I'm sitting, this is People Every Day, and this is all that matters. So... Joining me now is a longtime colleague and friend of mine and a native Texan who is on the ground in and around Uvalde, Texas right now, and has an update on the scene there, a veteran writer from the People Crime Team, Elaine Aradias. Elaine, thank you for being on with us today. Thank you for having me. First and foremost, how are you doing? I have received that question a dozen times today. And I just kind of keep saying I'm in robot mode. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one of those things that I probably won't really process until I'm done reporting. I can only imagine. Well, I mean, we we spent a few years on the crime team together, so I can I can imagine that. But take me into what this is like now. What's it like being there? This is my 18th mass shooting, meaning this is the 18th one I've covered. 18. 18. My first one was the Dark Knight shooting in Aurora. And also my last one was less than two weeks ago in Buffalo. As I was driving into Uvalde, you know, you can feel the sadness as you're driving in. You're passing by tanks. I'm seeing the Salvation Army emergency vehicle drive in. I'm seeing mobile morgues drive in and they're just passing you with red and blue lights on. And, um, sorry. And so as you're driving in, you're getting the sense that you are arriving onto a scene that no matter how many times you cover, you're not prepared for. When I got to the elementary school, 
There's yellow tape all around the school. There's border patrol. There's state troopers all in their cowboy hats and boots. And this is a real, like, kind of like a ranching town in the middle of nowhere. So you do feel Texas when you're there. It's just the sadness is visceral. Oh, I'll tell you, yeah, you, you, you have experience in, in that area. Describe Evaldi for us and just, you know, the families, the people that make up that town. Uvalde is a town of about 16,000 residents. It's about 75 miles west of San Antonio. You take this two-lane highway out there, and it's dotted with Waterburgers and Dairy Queens, which is kind of like Texas staples. Mm-hmm. And you get in to Uvalde, and it's just this little sign that says, Welcome to Uvalde. Everything is kind of a mom and pop shop. And it's, it's the kind of town where Main Street actually means something. Main Street is the main street through town. And from the school to the Civic Center, it's about a two-minute drive. The Civic Center is where families were being notified. The thing about Uvalde, though, it's, it's a generational town. Everyone knows everyone. It's very likely that f- the people that have passed, they're all going to know each other. There's, there are no strangers in that town, and they've known each other for generations. On top of that, a lot of Latinos, Mexican-Americans, been there for generations. It's mi gente, which means my people. I'm Mexican-American, and Texans, so we're Tejanas, Tejanos. And I walk up to the scene, and I see everyone that looks like me. They look like my aunts and uncles. It's all very familiar. And I think that's another level that's making it very difficult. I know you're on the ground and you're doing the work and you're, and you're speaking to people. Um, what, what has been a story that you can't stop thinking about? What's one that just resonated with you the most? You know, for, I think for the general consumer of news and you know, we've all collectively seen these stories over and over happen, right? Yeah. And so I think as a reporter, I I don't gravitate toward kind of like the main story. It's always the details that get me. Mm-hmm. I was at the reunification center yesterday. Basically, it's a civic center and they've they've turned it into a reunification center for most of the day. It was a gathering place for family members that couldn't locate their children. And as the day wore on, they were being notified. I was sitting on this stone bench. It was nothing but journalists and police officers. Everyone's trying to get their shot. But you can see in the distance, the family members are inside this building. And you can see them hugging each other more like comforting, not these people had not been notified. We're all standing around. It's 10 o'clock at night. And also Uvalde is the kind of place that it is pitch black. You, it, it, once night falls, there's no, there's no city lights going on. So it's pitch black. 
and you're just sitting there and the glow from the windows of the Civic Center are what's illuminating the place. And all of a sudden, I heard a mother wailing. And that sound was about 50 feet away inside another building. And her grief tore through that place. And everyone just sat there and listened. And it was one of those things that even the reporters, no one went trying to look for her. No one was trying to ask, how are you feeling? Everyone respected what was happening at that moment and almost making ourselves listen to this grief as a reminder of how devastating all of this is. As a journalist, I'm just wondering, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you process? And then how do you turn around and go back? Because you're, you're heading back into the town today to cover some more. My therapist would tell you <laughs> I need to take breaks, but I can't take a break right now. This one is near my hometown. I've been to Uvalde. My brother lived there at one time. Like I'm covering my community, right? But I have to keep my distance right now. And because then I can't do my job. I can't, I can't be two people at once. I mean, clearly I am a human and I have compassion and empathy, which is how I am proud to be that kind of journalist. I get very protective of the survivors and victims because they're not used to us. You know, if it's a politician or a celebrity, go to town. I'll go all in. But a regular person whose life that was turned upside down in an instant, they've had no training. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And so I empower them to feel in control of all situations, what they want to talk about. And with this one, it's also that, that goal of listen and do, right? You want, almost want people to listen so that they do something, so that someone who can does something. I mean, I don't know, and this is, you know, I'm just going to say it. Is this, like, is this okay with you to let your kids go to school, which are supposed to be safe places? Like, and we're going to arm teachers? Like, are you joking? Like, I'm a journalist. I'm not going to carry a gun. And I'm from Texas. And it's like, no, like I should be able to go to school and teach math or English without having a shotgun in my closet. So what are you expecting? What are you expecting to see today there? So Uvalde's not an easy place to get to. San Antonio is the largest big airport in from the pandemic, they shut down a lot of direct flights. So yesterday at the scene, it was all Texas reporters. You know, I've already seen the national outlets on TV there. So they must have come in last night. So I'm expecting to see double, maybe triple the crowd of 
journalists on the scene. Politicians are going to start coming in. The thing is, people love talking about their loved ones. And that is something I've learned. People also want to share why their loved one was the greatest person that they ever knew. And they love talking about them. And I love hearing about it. And so that is sort of what I expect to happen today as an entire town goes through the stages of grief. Elaine, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you are, you have your hands full out there and I appreciate you taking the time to be on here and, and just share with us everything that you're, you're doing and you're going through. Thank you for having me and giving me a chance to talk about it. So just to give you a few updates on who is speaking out in the wake of this, uh, President Joe Biden addressed the nation last night, giving an eight-minute heartfelt speech, just oscillating between tears and anger. There were clear moments where you could see the emotional toll just weigh on him. Someone, as we know, who lost a one-year-old daughter and his wife in a car accident, and his son, Bo, passed away from brain cancer a few years ago. To lose a child... It's like having a piece of your soul ripped away. He asked many of the same questions the rest of us are today and became visibly agitated as his speech went on. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. What in God's name do you need a solvent for except to kill someone? For every parent, for every citizen in this country, we have to make it clear to every elected official in this country, it's time to act. It's time for those who obstruct or delay or block the common sense gun laws. We need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more. We have to do more. Now, millions of people have taken to social media to echo President Biden's sentiment. Other politicians, mothers, fathers, athletes, and celebrities voice their sadness and frustration. Um, one notable one, Uvalde, Texas native Matthew McConaughey penned an emotional tribute on Instagram, which read in part, the true call to action now is for every American to take a longer and deeper look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what is it that we truly value? How do we repair the problem? What small sacrifices can we individually take today? And he continued with, as Americans, Texans, mothers and fathers, it's time we reevaluate and renegotiate our wants from our needs. We have to rearrange our values and find a common ground above this devastating American reality that has tragically become our children's problem. Our children's issue is what he said. And then there's the speech I've seen everyone talk about today from Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, who was a congressman during Sandy Hook and addressed the Senate floor, fueled by the tragedy and trauma of his constituents to ask why this was allowed to happen again. And what are we going to do as a nation? What are we doing? Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store, 
to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? This only happens in this country and nowhere else. Nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. Nowhere else do parents have to talk to their kids, as I have had to do, about why they got locked into a bathroom and told to be quiet for five minutes just in case a bad man entered that building. Nowhere else does that happen except here in the United States of America, and it is a choice. It is our choice to let it continue. But I'm here on this floor to beg to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues. Find a path forward here. Work with us to find a way to pass laws that make this less likely. I understand my Republican colleagues will not agree to everything that I may support, but there is a common denominator that we can find. There is a place where we can achieve agreement that may not guarantee that America never ever again sees a mass shooting, that may not overnight cut in half the number of murders that happen in America. It will not solve the problem of American violence by itself, but by doing something, we at least stop sending this quiet message of endorsement to these killers whose brains are breaking, who see the highest levels of government doing nothing. So like I said earlier, uh, for me, it is about what can I do right now? And even if it's just a little thing, it's not nothing. It's something. And doing something over nothing is what we all should be doing. So here are some resources if you are feeling like I am. You can contact your congressperson. If you go to house.gov, you can enter your address and find their contact information in 10 seconds. It's very easy. You can find out who your senator is by, by going to senate.gov and clicking the drop-down box in the top right corner that says, find your senator. I just did it, and it took eight seconds. GoFundMe has set up a hub for all verified and secure fundraisers for the families and victims of the shooting. That link will be in our show bio if you'd like to donate to the families for any related costs to the tragedy. There will be many. Um, the last thing I want to leave you with is an excerpt from our interview we did last year with Crystal Turner. You may remember that she lost her son and daughter to gun violence back in 2015. Crystal works with Everytown, an organization that is working to increase gun safety and end mass shootings. I wish I didn't wake up thinking about her words this morning. I wish that what she told us during our interview was outdated by now. And I wish it didn't ring true today, but that's not our reality. So thank you all for joining us and listening today and grieving and processing alongside me. And now here's Crystal Turner. When we talk about the permanent changes that gun violence brings to a community, um, we kind of water that conversation down. We say there's an impact, but we don't talk about the impact. I stand for simply saying, let's be responsible in how we own a gun because when you injure 
take the life or even you as an individual and you take your own life with a gun, the residue that you leave behind for those of us who are still living is lifelong and it is permanent. 